Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Also, please note we are recording from our homes via Zoom, so please forgive us for any sound issues. Dr. Littman received his initial medical training in South Africa and emigrated to the United States in 1984. He became a board-certified internal medical doctor after serving as chief medical resident at Lincoln Hospital in New York City. Becoming more and more aware of both the strengths and weaknesses of his training, He began to study acupuncture, Chinese medicine, functional medicine, nutrition, herbal medicine, meditation, and yoga. Now recognized as a vocal pioneer of integrative and functional medicine, or what he calls good medicine, Dr. Frank Lipman is the founder of 1111 Wellness Center and the chief medical officer at The Well. He is a sought-after international speaker and best-selling author of six books, How to Be Well, The New Health Rules, Young and Slim for Life, Revive, and Total Renewal. And his newest book, The New Rules of Aging Well, a simple program for immune resilience, strength, and vitality. Whitney and I have had the pleasure of knowing Dr. Levin for many years. We met him early in our career. I think we brought him a sample of Sakara food back in the day when Whitney and I were cooking ourselves. <laughs> so I'm happy that he's been able to see our evolution and, and where we've come. But I'm so excited for you all to hear this conversation. He's incredible. I, I not only love him as a medical professional and expert in the field, he's also just a darling of a person. And he really cares about this work and he really cares about his patients. And he's not really one to hop onto trends. So he's been saying the same thing for 40 years (laughs) and he's still not sick of saying it. So I love talking to him and I hope you all enjoy our conversation. Well, hello, Dr. Littman. I'm so excited to have you on the Sakara Life podcast today. Thank you so much for joining. And thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. You know how much I enjoy that too. Ditto. It's always fun to just chat with you. Been lucky enough to be on panels and run into you often enough, but it's also nice kind of in the more professional capacity to get to pick your brain. I know we've done some Sakara sessions together. Um, so usually I start out with a question around your mission. So what do you believe is your mission here on earth and or your gift that you are giving the rest of us? So my mission or my gift, I think, is to take the science of health and medicine, simplify it and turn it out in an easier, accessible way so people can understand it, take the complication 
out of it. You know, in, in Western medicine and science, we tend to get too wordy and make things so complicated. And I try to simplify it and, and make people realize that it's not that difficult. And it's ultimately, it's the things that we do on a daily basis, which make the biggest difference to our health. So try make it accessible for people. Well, I think you do an amazing job of that. And can you talk a little bit about your background? Because it's it's not just integrative functional medicine, but I know you also have a background in everything from herbal medicine to acupuncture and uh, Chinese medicine. So can you talk about kind of how all that came together? Okay, so, well, I qualified as a physician in 1979. That's what, 40-odd years, 40 years ago in South Africa as a traditional doctor. And then I went to work in the bush and got exposed to traditional healers. In, in the bush in South Africa were these rural areas where it's sort of like American Indian reservations, but much more rural, and uh, got exposed to traditional healers and uh, realized that my training was great for crisis care and for acutely ill patients. But the way I got trained in Western medicine in the hospital wasn't particularly good for these low-grade chronic problems and realized that the Sangoma seemed to be helping a lot of the patients that we weren't helping. And after working for a couple of months in a general practice where once again I realized that my training was great in crisis care, but not particularly good at patients coming in who were tired and couldn't poop and had headaches. So we emigrated to the United States in 1984, and uh, I had to do a residency program to get a license in New York. So I went back into the belly of the beast, into the hospital training for three years. And right at the beginning of that, or during that, I realized that I'd never be happy as a traditional doctor and I need to explore other alternatives. So I was already open to it from my experiences in South Africa, but there happened to be an acupuncture clinic near the hospital. I was in the South Bronx in 1984, where I was doing my residency. And because I wasn't particularly enthralled by being a traditional doctor, I started going to the acupuncture clinic and seeing what was going on there. And so, Early on, I was working as a traditional doctor, going to an acupuncture clinic and realizing the strengths of Western medicine and the strengths of Eastern medicine. So I started, or I realized then, 1984, that the future of medicine would be some combination of the two. So I started getting into Chinese medicine and herbs and then nutrition and meditation and biofeedback and yoga and it was a journey i went on a journey exploring how I could help patients get better because i realized that my regular training in internal medicine wasn't going to help most of the patients i would see in a, in a regular practice that's so long ago and then from then on i just started exploring different modalities and techniques that could possibly help me help my patients and over time you develop a way of seeing things and practicing where you use the best of western medicine and what i felt was the best of many other traditions and you know obviously nutrition is part of that because we don't get trained in nutrition in, in western medicine so i had to explore 
different nutrition teachers and different nutrition philosophies as just one aspect of all the different ways I could help people. And when I knew we were going to have you on the podcast, I really had to think about exactly what we're going to talk about because I feel as though there's just so much to talk about and your expertise at this point, you've been doing this for so long, is so broad that I had a zillion questions. But given the fact that you have a new book coming out around aging and the book is called The New Rules to Aging Well, I think we anchor there. And as you know, oh, so well, (laughs) anti-aging is really just about health anyway. So I figure we'll get to a lot of the, the core questions around health anyway. So I'd love to start out with your thoughts on what exactly is aging. And in this kind of current climate, I'm certainly aware of the terms around anti-aging and how aging in and of itself can actually be a very graceful, beautiful, natural process. But I think the aging that you're referring to is kind of needless aging that can happen because we're not actually taking the right care of our bodies and cellular health. So can you talk about exactly kind of what aging is and the kind of aging that we have any control over? Exactly. Now that's well put. And just to finish off the last part before, I've always had this, when I got into learning acupuncture and Buddhism and uh, meditation, and learning the power of a lot of these ancient traditions that sort of became my mission to work a lot of the wisdom from these ancient traditions and mix it with the science of today. And the book is really about that. Aging is really about as we get older, and I I know it, I'm 66 now, (laughs) as you get older, everything, the functioning of your organs in general decreases somewhat. And you can slow that decrease in function down. You know, there's a concept of a health span as opposed to a lifespan. So you can extend your health span, how long you stay healthy. You get up in the morning, you do the things you want to do. um, You still have a, a zest for life. So, you know, the idea is to how do you extend that until you're 90, 100, until you drop dead. You know, in the present culture, we start getting these diseases or, or these aches and pains or um, whatever it is once we start getting into our 40s, 50s, 60s, and there's a slow downhill progression until we snuff it. And, and you can have an increased lifespan, can live to 80, 90, or 100, but if you're not healthy, then what's the use? So, my concept of aging well is, as you put it, is we're all going to age. That's normal. But now that you know I'm 66, when I'm 80, I still want to do the things that I want to do. I want to enjoy my grandchildren. I want to wake up and still have that passion for life. And there's no reason why we can't. So what is a- aging is as this function decreases, that's aging. And, and one of the key things that happens as we age is you know, your body, certain cells get damaged and your body should clear them. Once we start getting older, that clearing mechanism, that self-detoxification, or we call it autophagy, that mechanism decreases. We don't do it as well. 
So our cellular, our garbage collection and our disposal system is not as efficient as when we're younger. So these are things that we can improve. You know, your hormone sensitivity or your nutrient sensitivity is not as good. So you become a little bit more sensitive to sugar and carbohydrates, for instance. That's why we have these epidemics of diabetes. Normally, as you get older, your tolerance for carbohydrates decreases. But what's happening now in the culture is instead of happening when we're 60 and 70 and 80, starting to happen to people in their 20s and 30s and 40s because of the way we live. So aging should theoretically, if you're living well, start maybe in your 50s and 60s and progress slowly and and you can affect that. But what's happened now, and, and you sort of alluded to that, is it's just about living well because we're starting to age now when we're in our 20s and 30s because of all the crap we eat all the stress we under because we don't move our bodies and all these things. So the aging process, this process of not clearing damaged cells, this process of decreasing function starts at a much younger age now. Mm. So, you know, when I wrote the book, it's exactly as you pointed out, it's really a book on wellness, but talking specifically of the mechanisms of aging and the things that you can affect by lifestyle changes a lot of which you probably know about or do, but I make it much more clearer and sort of emphasize the ones that are the most important. Yeah, and one thing I know you mentioned in your book are the longevity genes. So can you talk a little bit more about the science behind aging and and what those genes mean and and how we kind of turn them on and off? Right, so the longevity genes are these genetic pathways that sort of form a surveillance network and they respond to the damage and they fix it. So they're really the mechanisms of how a lot of our lifestyle choices work. So when we talk about fasting, that will stimulate or work with these longevity genes in a, in a particular way. If we eat too much sugar, it will you know, affect the, these metabolic pathways or these genetic pathways in a, in a specific way. But for instance, there's this, the big longevity genes that people talk about are mTOR, which is a mammalian or mechanistic target of rapamycin. They're the sirtuins, which people may know about, and cyclic AMPK. But to make it simple, they just, they're the major nutrient center, sensors that regulate cellular growth like mTOR, or the surgeons regulate cell, cellular health in general, or C, CAMPK is a metabolic sensing enzyme which is involved with, with energy. The pathways by which, which sort of work, you know, when we talk about diet, which I'm sure we'll talk about, I would hope so, being Sakara, <laughs> or we talk about exercise or meditation or fasting, these are just the mechanisms, the, the biological mechanisms by which these lifestyle factors work. And now we know the science. So, you know, I've always talked about these are ancient techniques. We didn't know the, the actual scientific mechanisms, the cellular pathways that these were working with, but now we know that. And what about telomeres? Because I know that's been a big part of the conversation around aging. Can you explain, like I remember telomeres Telomeres are like the caps at the end of, of your yeah. DNA, right? But so 
that wouldn't be counted as the longevity gene. That's something no, different. That's another mechanism, but it's all the way I see it is whether it's your longevity genes or your telomeres, these are your body's cellular responses to these lifestyle changes. So the same things that will activate your either sirtuins or the AMPK will lengthen your telomeres. The same things that work negatively with the longevity genes will shorten your telomeres. Like meditation is a perfect example, which will help these longevity genes or proteins in the brain like the brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So it'll increase that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Can you explain what those are? We'll get to that, but they're all the same things in terms of these are sort of, we're seeing scientifically how the body reacts to positive and negative. You know, you talked about upregulating and, and downregulating. So when we talk about upregulating these genes, you know, if you meditate, if you do certain types of exercise, but there are different ways of upregulating or downregulating these genes to in, in a positive way that's going to affect your aging. So let's we'll get into brain-derived neurotrophic factor, but let's talk about the mTOR longevity gene because we've had this discussion before. But we know as you get older, eating too much animal protein upregulates this mTOR longevity gene, which if you increase it, it's actually not particularly good for aging. It actually inhibits autophagy, which is that self-cleansing mechanism. You know, the mTOR is, is one of those genes that when you're young, because it's about cellular growth, you want more mTOR. So when you're young and you're having babies and you're up to the age of 40, it's all very well to stimulate it. But once you get into your 50s, you don't stimulate because you're stimulating cellular growth that can stimulate diabetes and cancer. So and obesity. So when you're older, you actually want to decrease animal protein. So that's something that I learned in the last few years researching this, that for someone like me, I need to cut down or anyone getting older, they need to cut back on the animal protein because it's not particularly good for this particular longevity gene. So you see, we're getting closer and closer to our philosophy on, on nutrition. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I mean, you know that we have never said. No, no, no. We we believe yeah. people should be vegan, yeah. but you know, we understand Eastern medicine, but also from more modern science as well that we need to take care of our microbiome. And most Americans, in particular, are not getting enough plants, and certainly not enough plant fiber. And so the reason that we promote a plant-forward diet is really because of that. But it's not to say that eating meat is inherently bad. But I do think that, yeah, across the paleo movement, there's been this kind of spike in thinking that a, a very animal protein, animal-derived goods like eggs and, fit and cheese, et cetera, can make up a healthy diet in and of themselves for the most part. And that's kind of where we hold a firm line in that in order to really take care of the gut, to really make sure we're getting all those antioxidants and polyphenols that we actually have to, to have a plant-forward diet. But we've always agreed on the fact that it has to be fiber-rich and low glycemic, et cetera, et cetera. And so 
in terms of, I've heard you talk about, and I want to get into the, the brain drive neuro, it's neurotrophic, right? Um, but I also would love to, we had Dr. Terry Walls on the podcast a while ago, and, you know, she's really big on mitochondrial health. And so how does mitochondrial health, I, I know you mentioned this a little bit in your book too, but how does mitochondrial health link to anti-aging and, and longevity? Sure. So it's that concept of decreasing function. So the mitochondria decrease, the amount and their functioning decrease as we get older. And the mitochondria are the energy powerhouses of your cells. So the mitochondria are actually working with these, these longevity genes that I was talking about. But the idea is that the mitochondria, which are these energy powerhouses, decrease as we get older, as does their function. So if you can increase the number or improve their function, you're going to age better. So once again, it's sort of more of a, the mechanism of how what we're talking about works. And the mitochondria like a lot of greens and a lot of fiber and a lot of fasting and certain types of exercise. But once again, it's like it's one of the mechanisms that you are scientific mechanisms that you're stimulating when you do a lot of what I'm recommending, a lot of what most of us are recommending. The difference I would have with Dr. Walls and a lot of the paleo people is, and I'm sure it's changing because I was there too. They're not acknowledging that the amino acid profile of animal protein is a little bit different. It's got a lot more leucine, methionine, but in particular leucine, which is stimulating this mTOR gene. And, and you don't really want to do that mm. as you get older. You just don't want to do too much of it. And when you really get older, it becomes it's a fine balance because you don't want to lose muscle mass. So you do need protein. So I like, so, you know, I've shifted more. You know, I still eat animal protein, but not as much. And I, you know, I try to get as much plant protein as I can. I have this push-pull experience of what it means to help people transform their lives through food. And I'm so grateful that plants and a plant-rich diet is trendy right now. I think that it has to have a lot more staying power than typical trends, but I'm grateful that it's on kind of the mass consciousness. But as we move toward less animal protein and more plant sources, I think there's also some casualties along the way. And I'd say one of them is thinking that replacing, you know, a regular burger with one of these highly processed burgers is a health choice. If you're if you're doing it strictly for kind of moral issues right. around animal sources, that's one thing. And if you understand that it's not a health choice, but my heart breaks a little when I see people going to a popular salad chain and thinking they're doing something good for themselves, but it's covered in glyphosate and they're yep. using highly processed oils in the salad dressing or they're getting a... Yep. Highly processed burger that is probably worse for them than the animal-based burger. Hard to say, but certainly not better. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. What are your thoughts on those on those highly processed yeah. meats? No, I agree a hundred percent with you. If you're going to do a burger like that, rather have a grass-fed burger. I mean, I, if you, for philosophical reasons, aren't eating meat, then fine. But don't think they're healthy. They're full of. Yeah. Some of them have GMOs. It's processed crap. 
you yeah. can have processed so I agree a hundred percent with you. Yeah, I think there's such a misconception around one of the reasons we don't talk about being vegan and we don't really say plant based, we say plant forward or plant rich is that just because something is vegan doesn't mean it's healthy. Like vegan yep. is not a health term. And yep. I think people are having a hard time wrapping their brains around it because we do get really attached to labels and we want yep. our, our health to be a function of just adhering to a few rules people set before us. But it actually takes a lot more intention and effort because you have to understand where things are coming from, exactly yep. what's in them and, and how it affects your body. But I guess all to say that these burgers are just another processed thing in the grocery aisle, which we did not need. Yeah, I mean, you know, we get these crazes, you know, we had this gluten-free, everything gluten-free craze, and most of those gluten-free products are full of other crap. Um, yeah. And now we have these meat-free. Uh, so we agree on 100%, just eat, you know, food real food i mean I know processed you, food is processed food you must have seen i mean just listening to your initial story you've been doing this for over 40 years you must have seen just so many trends come and yeah. go what do you think has been the best trend and the most detrimental trend that you've seen i think the best trend has been towards yoga and meditation in particular i think there's a big trend and i think there's no downside there mm. There's no downside with the meditation. So to me, that's probably been the best trend, and I love that. You know, I love this trend towards healthier eating, but then the food industry and corporations get into it and becomes more profit-driven than mission-driven, yeah. although not always. So what are the worst trends? Uh, you know, the, the, probably the worst two trends are the vegetable oils, you know, in this idea of you don't want saturated fat, so you make these vegetable oils that are not, there's nothing, have no vegetable in them, no vegetable benefit in them either. So I think that's a major, major issue. You talked about it briefly. And then these sweeteners, you know, these artificial sweeteners, people trying to get off sugar and then they eat all this other crap. So I think the problem is in our culture, in our society, we try to reduce everything to one thing. So yes. you want something that's low cholesterol or no gluten or no animal protein or whatever it is. And then you process something and you change it in a way that is just not good for, for you. So, you know, my philosophy generally about food is if it's made in a factory, it's probably not a great thing. And if it's made in nature... It's probably good. I mean, it's, that's very simplistic and it doesn't cover everything. But, you know, just try eat your food as close to nature as possible. And now for a quick break. So today I wanted to quickly chat about one of our newer products here at Sakara, the Foundation. The foundation launched in March and is the first plant-based medical grade supplement pack on the market and was created to fill nutritional gaps and support optimal holistic health and vitality. These come in convenient daily packets and work to promote digestive wellness, energy and mood support, as well as a strong immune system. We like to think of these little guys as our daily nutritional insurance policy. 
You know, we love to eat Zakara every day if we can, but we also are the first to say, eat clean, play dirty. So these supplement packs help make sure we're getting everything we need for our bodies to function at their absolute best. All of our supplements are clean, plant-based, bioavailable, medical grade, and earth-friendly. They're also food-based, so they are super bioavailable and easy on the stomach. Give it about three to four months of taking these packets to see the full effects, which include improved skin hydration, strengthened immune system, and an overall feeling of energy and well-being. For our Sakara podcast listeners, we're gifting you $15 to use towards your first purchase of the foundation. Use the code PODCAST15 at checkout. So head over to sakara.com. that's S-A-K-A-R-A.com forward slash podcast and enter the code PODCAST15 at checkout for $15 off your first purchase of the foundation. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Can you talk a little bit about kind of gut health and anti-aging and how and how they connect as well? Sure. I think the connection between gut health and aging is inflammation. Talked about telomeres. We talked about some of these longevity genes, but another important concept and mitochondria, all these different philosophies on why we age, you know, whether you're not clearing the damage. But one of the primary philosophies on, on why we age is it's called inflam aging. Is we, as we get older, we get more and more inflammation, and it's the inflammation that's not dealt with properly that actually makes us age quicker. Because as you get older, you don't process or you don't deal with the inflammation as well as when you're younger. And one of the commonest, if not the commonest cause of inflammation is an altered microbiome. And why does that happen? Because altered microbiome, part of the function of the microbiome is to protect the lining of the gut wall, which is very thin. And when you're not protecting that gut lining, then you can get inflammatory metabolites of of food, inflammatory metabolites of the bacteria going through the gut wall into your bloodstream and triggering inflammation all over the body, which can lead to whether it's diabetes, heart disease, osteoporosis, obesity, all sorts of arthritis, all sorts of diseases. So a common pathway to aging is increased inflammation. And the commonest cause of inflammation is a microbiome that's off balance and that's not protecting your gut lining and you get a leaky gut. I mean, that's a very simplistic view of of inflammation, but that's basically in two sentences how it works. I love that you simplified it like that because sometimes when, when I speak to the microbiome, it can be a little obtuse, I think, for some people to understand exactly how much these kind of microbiota impact our health. But I love what you said. And, and of course, they do many other things for our health. But really, first and foremost, their job is to make sure what we are getting from our food and putting into our bloodstream is what we want and need. As we cause damage to the microbiome, that's the function. 
that deteriorates, right? And there are things that get into our our body and our, our blood that is not supposed to be there and can cause inflammation. And so that's actually what autoimmune means, right? Can you kind of define that? Like what that means our body attacking itself, so to speak? Yeah. Autoimmune is slightly different, but it's a result of the same mechanism. The, the mechanism is often a leaky gut or damage to the lining. And then when you have these byproducts of food or these toxins going through the gut wall, your body's immune system, because 70% of our, our immune system is in the gut or surrounds the gut, because the gut is like your internal skin. So it's a barrier between you and the external world. So you need a, a good immune system there. And, and when these food particles or toxins get through, your body tries to protect itself by making antibodies to attack those antigens. But unfortunately, sometimes those same antibodies attack your body's own tissues. It's called molecular mimicry. You know, the classic one is sometimes the breakdown particles of gluten can actually trigger antibodies to your thyroid or attack your thyroid so you get antibodies to your thyroid so you get Hashimoto's. So that's the classic example given. But basically because of your immune system trying to protect your body, it makes these antibodies to attack that foreign antigen and by mistake or because of the molecules looking the same, it attacks your body's own tissues. And just so I'm kind of drawing the thread through this conversation myself and for our listeners, the through cellular metabolism, there's kind of all of these byproducts. And basically aging means that these byproducts, whether it's through these longevity genes or it's via the byproducts through a leaky gut, these are the byproducts that are your body when you're young and healthy naturally get rid of, but as we age, it gets harder and harder. So what are the kind of top three tips that you give to people to help with that over time, to help with the body kind of get rid of, you call it autotrophy, is that right? Autophagy, yeah. Autophagy, so, yeah. And Yeah, I, I think that's a great question and that's really important. So I think stopping or decreasing sugar junk food and processed foods as much as possible because that's the devil. That is probably number one. But there are these other little tips that are really helpful. Fasting is one of the best ways you can do to stimulate your body's own cleansing mechanisms, autophagy. The way you need to think of it is, and the way these longevity genes, these pathways work because they sort of, they over millennia, they your body's sort of survival mechanisms. So when people weren't eating, for instance, not because they were intentionally fasting, but they weren't eating because there just wasn't enough food, these pathways, these mechanisms got kicked in for survival. So a little bit of you know what you know what I always say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. These little stresses are really good for your body. Fasting is a physical stress. A high-intensity interval training is a little bit of a stress. You know, you're pushing your body. Temperature extremes are another stress. You know, going from a sauna, for instance, into a cold plunge. All these little stresses on your body trigger these survival genes or survival pathways to, to get triggered. 
So those are all good for the aging. So any little, a little bit of stress as opposed to long-term chronic stress, which is not good, which does the opposite. So fasting, high-intensity interval training, exercise in general, really good. And just avoiding eating the crap, eating the junk food is probably the most important. And then the other issues that you wanted to talk about, brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is just another sort of mechanism. But there are these soft issues that we don't talk enough about, which I think are very important for aging well, whether it's community, whether it's being kind to others, being in nature. Things we take for granted, I think, have very powerful effects on aging. Having a sense of humor, especially about aging. Um, so all these little factors, you know, how you deal with stress are very powerful. You know, that's why I always talk about, you know, ancient wisdom. You know, what I try to do is bring this ancient wisdom and mix it with the modern science. The modern science is really just sort of showing us the mechanisms of why you feel so good when you walk on the beach or you're walking through the forest why you feel so good when you're surrounded by your family or friends, people who you love and, and love you, why you feel so good when you're laughing a lot, when you're volunteering um, and you're giving without expecting anything in return. All these little things actually have powerful effects on our body. They're all going to affect these longevity genes or the mitochondria or the brain-derived neurotropic factor. So. Those are just scientific or sexy words, whatever you want to call them, to make a lot of the concepts that I think or the lifestyle changes that I think are important palatable to a Western way of thinking. And I know we've talked about these brain-derived neurotrophic factors, so let's, <laughs> let's dig into those for a second. And then I'd love to just double-click into your ideas around fasting and what that means for you so but let's start with with yeah the brain drive so the bdnf or brain derived neurotropic factor is really a protein that helps produce brain cells mm. and or strengthen the ones that you have so it's the same as that mitochondrial you know how do we improve mitochondrial it's just the protein that works in the brain like fertilizer for your brain and what's interesting the things that Increase your brain-derived you know, BDNF or sleep, which we haven't even talked about, which is key for, for aging well and health. Exercise, meditation, certain antioxidants that you probably put in your food from blueberries, colorful vegetables, dark chocolate, green tea. Roy, I see you have rooibos tea, mm -hmm. which is great. A lot of them contain polyphenols, which actually increase brain-derived neurotrophic factor as opposed to stress and sugar and social isolation, which all decrease it. It's the same factors that are going to affect your BDNF. It's going to affect your mitochondria. It's going to affect these longevity genes. Those are just the mechanisms of how this ancient wisdom actually works. It might get boring, so to speak, but it's also so kind of, I guess it makes me feel so grateful on the other hand, right? I mean, the same thing that's going to help me with aging exactly. is going to help me exactly. with fertility and health and exactly. happiness and 
just remembering that any aspect of or any function of health is is just an aspect of of something else that keeps you healthy that there aren't these isolated things that just help with aging you know you could talk about how antioxidants from plants help with inflammation but they do so many other things as well and and, you know a little uh, here's a concept that you like because you like all this stuff there's a concept called hormesis which is what we talked about earlier that these little little stresses make you stronger. What they found with plants, why plants develop antioxidants, they develop them or produce them to protect themselves from whether it's bugs or whatever that's going to kill them. So that's why organic produce actually has higher antioxidants because the hormesis, when plants just have to grow without all those pesticides and chemicals, the hormesis factor increases the antioxidants. So it's the same. They may not have mitochondrial longevity genes per se like we have, but that's their mechanism of, of wow. protecting themselves. So it's all sort of works together. And that's why the importance of the soil and regenerative farm. Yeah. I mean, all of this works. It's all interconnected. Yeah. I've never heard that before. That's so that link between the antioxidant in a plant and the little mini stressors that it has to go through through life that perhaps herbicides, fungicides, pesticides keep it from experiencing. That's fascinating. All the same thing. One comment I do want to make about, and and this is where we'll get into fasting, is what works better for someone of my age, especially when it comes to fasting, may not work as well for someone who, for fertility, you know, I don't know if fasting is necessarily the best thing for a, yeah. a younger woman who is trying to get pregnant or is pregnant. The way I see it is basically until you're about 40 years old, it's about growing and being strong and making children. Once you get into your 40s and 50s, it's about maintaining. And when you want to maintain, it's more about fasting becomes more important. So your age, and when it comes to fertility, I I don't recommend fasting. I think fasting is more for us old farts. It's about maintaining and and stimulating the autophagy and the cleansing mechanisms, which people up to 40 or so need to grow more and and produce. And so it's a little bit different. So fasting, but all the other things we're talking about are great for for any age, but, but in particular, fasting is, is probably, unless you want to lose weight or if you're in terrible shape and you need to improve your metabolic health, that's different. But for the most part, fasting becomes more important as we get older. And can you define what you mean by fasting? Like, is that intermittent fasting where you don't eat for 18 hours out of the day? Or how do you think about it? Yeah, so there, there are many different ways to fast. I think intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating is probably the easiest way to do it. And that means you just eat, like I I eat almost all my calories between like 11 and 7 at night. So for eight hours, I'll eat. And then for the other 16 hours, I don't eat. So I have dinner earlier and I have breakfast later, basically. That's the easiest way to fast. I mean, the big thing is to have a very low carb diet and low animal protein, if, you know, no animal protein for a few days. Because those are the foods that stimulate the nutrient sensors like insulin and these longevity genes we're talking about. There are many ways of doing it. I'm a big proponent of 
intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating because I just think it's so easy and people do it. And we see incredible changes in people's blood markers when they do it. Yeah, we uh, developed a program that we call Level 2 with Dr. Aviva Ram. And, it, and it's similar to what you're talking about in so much that, you know, it's obviously low animal product, <laughs> well, zero, but uh, also stabilizes your blood sugar. So, you know, there's no added sugar or carbohydrates, grains, et cetera, of any kind. And it's really just vegetable heavy. And also it's not fat heavy, but it also makes sure that it includes enough fat to get you through the day. And, and then at night you have a broth. So you're essentially doing what you're talking about where you're only eating really six to seven hours out of the day and, and intermittent fasting through the rest. And I like what you're saying about the difference between men and, and women. And I can tell you typically what we found with level two is that men have a much easier time with it than women. Is there a biological reason for that? Well, no, I'm sure there is. And there's no question men do. As women get older, they, they have an easier time. But menstruating women, it may not necessarily be the best thing for them to do that. Maybe sort of once they get into perimenopause, once they get into their sort of mid-40s, then I think it's all right. But until then, I don't generally recommend it for women anyway, unless they want to lose weight. But I hardly ever recommend it for losing weight anyway. So yeah, men definitely have an easier time. Older women or women 45 or so and older have an easier time than younger women. But yeah, I, I just think you've got to listen to your body. I think, I think fasting becomes more important as you get older. When you're younger, it's not such a... a I'm not sure I recommended them. Right. Absolutely. Well, um, I'd love to end on you talking about one of the your tips in your new book that I really liked was relax like a cat and play like a dog. Can you talk about that and what that means for aging? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of what I talked about before. You know, cats are great if just they chill out and they relax fairly easily. And dogs are great because they're happy and playful and they unconditional love. I wouldn't say cats have unconditional love. So, uh, uh, you know, dogs are just such lovely, you know, happy, playful. And cats, their strength is sort of being able to chill out. And I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that as my, my life mantra going forward. <laughs> Um, well, I'd love to end on light work. So what is some, some homework we can all take home to start to shine each of our lights a little brighter? I think probably number one would be kind to yourself and to others. I think kindness is something that we all need, especially in times like this. And, you know, kindness is not only to others, but to yourself too. So just don't be too harsh on yourself. I think take sleep really seriously. We didn't really talk about sleep. Sleep is so important. Sleep is when a lot of these sleep will increase your brain-derived neurotrophic factors. Sleep affects your longevity genes in a positive way. Sleep is when your body repairs the damage. Don't think sleep is a useless time where nothing's happening. It's very important. I think 
it's important to have meaning and purpose in life. Now, that meaning and purpose can be your kids. It doesn't have to be changing the world. If you want to change the world, that's great. And I think it's great to, you know, if you, you, you're passionate about something, go, go with that. But it could be about your kids and your family. Find something that turns you on and is meaningful to you. I love that. I love that it wasn't like nutrition tips or something so tactical, but just reminding all of us that health, vitality, aging are all linked ultimately to our level of fulfillment and contentment and happiness. I think sometimes people look at nutrition and wellness as as these things that they have to do to get there, but really it's just to get you to this healthy baseline where then, you know, you get to find fulfillment and you get to find purpose. Exactly. Well, I just adore you so much and I'm so grateful. Getting so much. I'm so grateful we've, we've had the chance to build our relationship over the many, many years. And I know I'm not alone in saying how grateful I am for the work that you do and the information and inspiration that you bring to me and the community and your patients. So. Thank you, Dr. Littman. Thank you. Thank you, Danielle. And thank you for all that you do as well. I think you've done such a great job with Sakara Life. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Today's Sakara story is from Maria in San Antonio, Texas. She says, I have completed my first week of the program, and so far I love it. The meals help me keep on track, and I'm feeling super energized with my exercise. Also, side note, I just got back from my six-month breast cancer checkup, and not only did my labs come back all cancer-free, received treatment, and a reduction of inflammation in my body, specifically liver, pancreas, and kidneys. The doctors asked what I'd been doing differently, and I just said, Sakara. I told them about the waters and the Sakara teas, which I drink regularly. Maria, thank you so much for sending your Sakara story. I'm currently 31 weeks pregnant and <laughs> very emotional. I had to hold back on that one as I do so many of our Sakara stories. I'm just so grateful to be on this journey with, with each of you. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to impact your life in such a positive way. And thank you for coming to us to help you. I wish you nothing but health and happiness as we continue on this journey together. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com or send us a DM at sakaralife. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. Lights.